He's the Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. To the question that I got that we're going to ask answer this week, and it was a very good question, is why are there no more books written in the last 2,000 years from no one else? You know, where, how come the Bible isn't continuing? What's going on in that? Why is it the Bible complete? And boy, did I get excited to see that question. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. Because it's an issue of bibliology, right? And we all use bibliology. We say that word every day, don't we? Um, we're going to talk about that. So first, very exciting. Uh, and before I say anything else, I got to pray. So uh, let me do that. <clears throat> uh, Father, I do pray that get me out of your way, that your truths are lifted up, and you are glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about the Bible for a little bit, because a lot of friends that you have, family, friends, and neighbors, they don't trust the Bible. And they have excuses like, it was the biggest one, is it was written by men. So, right, it was written by men. Do you read the local newspaper? Well, it was written by men. Do you trust it? Do you trust it telling you the truth? You know what I'm saying? So their logic is broken even by making that statement. But so we're going to look at this. We're going to unpack this. But before we get to why is there, answer that question, let's talk about what the Bible is before we talk about what the Bible ain't. Okay? Now, the Bible is a collection of writings. It's actually a small library of books. It is not a book, although the Bible means the book. All right, It's a collection of writings. In the Old Testament, we have history, we have poetry, we have prophecy, major prophets, minor prophets. You know what I remember is when Becky and Laura stood up here, if you remember this, and they said every book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament... And when they got into the, saying these guys, and they said them really fast, you know, Daniel has that blah, 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 blah. And we're like, whoa, that was like, it was really good. And they won a prize, right? You worked with them on that one. I still remember that. I have yet to see anyone else, and I certainly can't come up here and recite all of these books. In order, right? So I remember that. In the New Testament, we have biographies, or the Gospels. We have a book, uh, the the book of Acts, which is history. We have the Pauline letters. We have the other letters, which is like Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, and Jude. And then we have a book of prophecy, Revelation. These are all different books. Sixty-six books. All right. Now here's some other interesting facts about these books. It took over. 1,400 years to write all these books. Some say 1,500 years. There's 66 books, 40 authors, 3 languages, and three written in 3 different continents. Okay? So to say that the Bible was written by men is the most <coughs> dumbest statement as a reason not to believe that any human being could ever put out there. Because there is no way that the consistency of what the Bible says about God and man should be consistent. It should be so full of errors. It should be so um, in conflict with each other because of the 66 books, the 40 authors, and 1,500 years to write it in three different languages of three different continents. 
The Bible itself is a miracle. You want to look for a miracle of God? You want to look for proof of God? Pick up a Gideon Bible in the back or grab a Bible anywhere. There, that book, that collections of writing is a miracle that no human being can poo-poo on because it withstood the tests, every test. All right? It's amazing. But how did we come to them? I'm going to go over some quick facts about this. There's a, a, a word called canon, which comes from the Greek, whatever that means, which means the measuring sticker, the measuring, the rule. All right? So how did we know that the Bible books are the right books and why not the other books? All right? And I'm going to give you a couple things. Of course, his, um, church history plays a role in this because since AD 397, the, the Christian church has considered the canon to be complete. And if it's complete, it's closed. That's a logical thing to say. And I'm going to unpack this in more detail. Don't worry. I'm just trying to give you some brief overviews of some things. Here's something else we believe about the Bible. It is that in the original writings... That one, it's inspired. It's the true, then the true author is the Holy Spirit, not men. And we'll show you the scripture on that in a minute. Verbal, verbal and plenary, meaning this, uh, that every word, complete, plenary means completely, every word of those writings um, are inspired. So not just the moral of the story. Your liberals will say, well, Jesus is just trying to teach tolerance and love and love your cat and hug your dog. And no, that's not what Jesus is teaching. Right? Jesus is when every single word of the Bible is inspired, written by the Holy Spirit, and thus it's inerrant, meaning without error. Okay, so your liberals are going to say, well, you can't trust the Bible, it's full of mistakes. No, you're full of mistakes, all right? And you need to trust the Bible and let it change you, all right? So, and most of your mainline Protestants believe this and also preserved by God for us today. So how do you know the Bible in your lap is the right Bible? Because God preserved it, it's inspired, every word is inerrant, without error. How do we know that even your English translation in your lap is what God meant to say? What he said and what he meant to say? Huh? Scientists found it. So, right. It's, we can verify it. Um, if you think of Homer and the Iliad and all those ancient writings, there's only like a couple hundred. There's actually more than this, but let's look at it. The authors of the New Testament is written within... Um, Date written within the first century of Jesus' actual event. Within that time, within the lifetime of people seeing Jesus, the earliest copies we have are within 130 years of it, the second century, of the earliest copies we have. Now here's the big one. Between the approximate time between the original and the copy is less than 100 years. And then the number of copies, this is the biggest one. We have over 5,000, I fear, there's, there's talk of over 9,000 copies of the original manuscripts. 
So we can check and verify all these different copies. Are they saying the same things? You know, and we can compare them. And it's like, yeah, this says what this one says, even though this one's older than that one. We can compare it back to the originals. So there is no other, all this to say there's no other historical document that's been scrutinized, tested, and verified against itself and against its copies more than the Bible. All right? No one believes that uh, Homer did not write the Iliad and the Odyssey and there's just like less than 100 copies of that. No one argues that, right? But the scripture, people argue the scripture because of what the scripture says in it. Yet it's the most verified historical documents mankind has. And that's just the New Testament. You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls talking about the Old Testament? You know, you would think, you can grab your your Bible your English Bible and go to Israel and see the Hebrew of the original Dead Sea Scrolls, which is thousands of years old, and where the Old Testament is, what they're talking about, Isaiah and all that, it's it's in line. There's no variation. It's trustworthy. And that's the big idea. But here's the biggest reason. Here's the biggest reason of all. The reason the Bible is complete is there are no more apostles. Amen. That's the big reason right there. And you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? Let's, let's look at this together more. We're going to get into some actual Bible verses. Every book in the New Testament is written by an apostle or approved by an apostle. So the Gospel according to Luke. Luke was not an apostle. But it was, he was assigned to write that. It was blessed by the apostles. Acts was written by Luke. All right? So, which is not an apostle. Uh, was the books written by... Uh, one of the ways they could tell the early church is, was the book written by someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ? So the early church saying, how do we know this letter is not of God and this one is? Well, this one's written by an apostle and this one's not. Okay. Right? This was an eyewitness of Jesus. That guy's not, and he's saying Jesus was a hamster. We know that one doesn't count. Okay? Did the book pass the truth test? Did it concur with other already agreed upon scripture? Peter talks about Paul. Paul talks about Peter in your Bibles. They concur with each other. Alright? Acts talks about the ministry of Peter and Paul. So they connect. You see that? Um the new churches were saving these letters from the apostles and teachers. So the church down the street had that letter from Paul, but we didn't have that letter. So we'd go get a copy, a manuscript of that letter from Paul so we could teach it in our church too. That's how the early church did it. They had the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, and then they had the letters of the apostles. And they would collect them up. And that's how they knew. So when the church finally came together and says, which one of these are canons and which ones are not, then they would say, well, the churches have always been reading these letters from Paul for a hundred years. Well, these are letters. Let's take a look at them. And that's how the canon came together. So it wasn't men saying, this is it, this isn't. It's which of the scriptures are saying they're scriptures. Which of the scriptures are verifying themselves? So the Bible kind of raised its own hand and said, yeah, I'm part of it. And the men, oh, yeah, here it is. Does that make sense? I'm trying to do that very simply so I don't complicate myself. All right. Now, Jesus verifies the Old Testament in Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. All right? Jesus is talking about the authority of the Old Testament. In Second Peter uh, chapter 1, 16 through 18, for we did not follow Peter writes this. Pay attention to this. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Here's where a gospel says, Hey, I'm I'm part of the Bible. Because one, it's Peter, and he says, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Alright, that is a truth claim that distinguishes it from someone saying, I had a vision. All right. Let's look at some more. Uh, Peter continues to write, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says a lot here. First, he's verifying the Old Testament. He's writing about the Old Testament and how you can trust the Old Testament. This is where we get the word inspired from. That it wasn't men written, because the Bible says it wasn't men who wrote it. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, they weren't autonomous. They weren't like, let me get in the zone. They weren't doing anything like that. They were expressing with themselves, but the Holy Spirit breathed through them. That's what inspired means, breathed through them, to write this. And in the Old Testament, what happens if you're an Old Testament prophet and you got a prophecy wrong? It was the death penalty. The Old Testament prophets were not allowed to mess up on one prophecy. They must be 100% right all the time to claim it's from God or you're dead. All right? So it was a big price to say, I'm a prophet of God. All right? Now, as Christians, we should have an ever increasing appetite, desire to get into the Word of God. It should literally be drawing us. How can I get into that collection of writings? How can I know this better? Because to know the Scripture better is to know God better. And for the Christian, God saved us. Jesus saved us. So how can... I want more of Jesus. And the only... The fastest way to get to that is to read your Bibles. Okay? Again, reminding what Peter just said to us. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the dawn and the morning star rises in your hearts. Okay, Scripture fulfills... Is that Second Peter? Yes. Yes. Also, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, it filters our life experiences through the Word of God, the Bible, and they cannot contradict each other. So, I'm trying to come up with a tasteful example of that. But chances are, the Bible, there's no way the Holy Spirit's going to tell you to go do a ministry at an adult club by becoming a dancer. Okay, There is no possible way the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to do something which is absolutely contrary to the Word of God. So if you think you're getting a vision or guidance from God, and you read in the Scripture nowhere that, that your big idea is fitting with Scripture, it ain't the Holy Spirit guiding you. Okay, The Holy Spirit is not going to contradict the Holy Spirit. It's his big ideas in the Bible, and that's how he guides us. So that's why it's Bible first. In our church, am I asking you all to have an emotional experience? Everyone just raise your hands and sense the Holy Spirit in this room. Mecca, lecca, hi, mecca, honey, ho. Oh, I just spoke in tongues, right? No, none of that nonsense. Here's what counts. The Bible. We have a big screen, and what do we show up here? Bible verses. Because this is what transforms you into the image of Jesus. Be renewed. The renewing of your mind. Right? It keeps us from sinning. The scriptures. It gives us hope. It tells us the meaning and purpose of life. And we get to know God. Amen. That's the fastest way to get to know God. When people don't read their Bible, here's an example, they believe the following. The Old Testament, God is me. The New Testament, Jesus, is tolerant pushover. Remember, because tolerance is the new morality. Oh, you're in gross, disgusting sin? Well, that's wonderful. No. If you love them, you tell them you're in gross, disgusting sin? Repent, because you're going to die and go to hell. That's love. That's love. Okay? Um, and people are not bad. Alright? This is the American theology. Old Testament gods mean Jesus is the pushover, and people aren't bad. Right? But when you actually read your Bible, you realize that people are stupid and evil, and especially in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God is very, very patient. And He's also the victim. If you read your Old Testament correctly, the only one victim of sin is God from all these very stupid, evil people. Right? If you read your New Testament, you're going to find out Jesus is uncompromising and holy, yet full of grace to those who repent. Alright? Jesus doesn't put up with sin. He tells people to stop sinning. He loves them. He gives them a hug and then says, Go and sin no more. I will not tolerate your lifestyle. That's bad. Repent. Alright? But you wouldn't know that unless you read your Bible. But you'd think just the opposite if you read your Facebook posts, right? Here's the big one. There are no more apostles and prophets. What? 
There are no more apostles and prophets. Okay, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. What about Ephesians 4, 11 and 12? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's true. God did give us apostles. We know who they are. He gave us prophets. The whole Old Testament's full of old prophets. John's the last prophet in the book of Revelation. Those offices are closed. All right? What do we got left? We got evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And our job is to go out there in all our frail humanity through the power of God to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what are we three teaching? What these two gave us. I am never giving you... Oh, I had a vision of God this week. I was, I was outside. I was weed-eating, which has been my big thing to do this summer, and I had an epiphany. Right? And this is what God wants me to tell you. The moment someone gets up and says, God's got something to tell you. He told me to tell you. You already know you're in the bad zone. Woo, woo. Alright? If, the, if they ain't pointing to Scripture and said... The apostles and the prophets from the Bible has something to tell you. And they're claiming God's given them something special. We're going to go over that in a minute. But that's how you know you're now going off course. Right? Into wacky land. Alright. The apostles walked with Jesus. I'm reminding you about Peter. This is why there's no more apostles. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. This is the definition of an apostle. Or were you there? Alright, there's a church in this town that claims they have the gift of apostleship. Really? Were they walking with Jesus? Did they see Him? They were there 2,000 years ago? I don't think so. Okay, And if anyone claims they're an apostle, you better write down what they're saying because it is from God. And it, now we can, can, can continue the, the Bible. All right. Where's that 16 coming? Uh, that's 2 Peter chapter. It's from the earlier verses. It says it wasn't Ephesians. No, that's, that's Peter talking 2 Peter. I apologize. I cut and paste the cut and paste. Yeah. Now, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, 15, 7 through 10, Paul writes about his apostleship because, in my mind, Paul was an enemy of the church. And when he met Jesus, he was going to another area to, to get the Christians, to kill them and put them in jail. So here's what Paul writes about his conversion and why he, of all people, is considered an apostle. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. This is Jesus. Last of, uh, right, Jesus appearing to them. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it is not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
Now we know from the book of Acts, we know from the writings of Peter and the writings of Paul that Paul was accepted by the apostles and approved to go out and do ministry. And that's the whole history of the book of Acts. You see that. Okay? And Paul didn't walk with Jesus. Paul was on the road to Damascus and a bright light shows up and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the story that um, Paul is talking about here. All right? He's the last one. Now, we're going to play a game in a minute. Uh, You might be a redneck. You all remember that? Except this is going to be, you might be a cult, but we'll get to it in just a moment. The last prophet was the Apostle John. And look what he wrote in the book of Revelation. Um, Revelation 22, 18 and 19 I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Okay? The last prophet was John, and here's what he happens to mention about his last prophecy. All right? The book is closed. Now, nowadays, I'm going to give you some discernment, polemics. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, apologetics and polemics. So we want to beware of any groups out there that, you know, come to the Apostle and Prophet Ministry series and, and uh, we're going to do some prophecies. And I could do prophecies right now. I can go around this room. Uh, okay. Who's wearing green shirt? Oh, Javin's got a green shirt. Okay. And this is for anybody wearing a shirt. Anyone wearing a shirt today? Okay. See? God's telling me something. You are all going to have a week of challenges. Some of you are going to have blessings. Oh, but I sense someone's going to have a challenge. A challenge this week. It's going to be difficult. How am I doing? Huh? Pretty good? Wow. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? So let's play a little game. You might be a redneck, or you might be a cult. Here's how you can tell if you might be a cult. One, number one, is you're claiming to be a prophet or an apostle. If you go into a church and the pastor comes up there and, well, I'm the local apostle, uh uh-oh, you're already in uh uh-oh land already, or prophecies, right? Like my great prophecy I just gave to you all, right? Wasn't that great? Did you write it down? Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) That's how you know you're going into wacky land. Um, Adopting practices of New Age or Eastern mysticism. Now, even two decades ago, Michelle and I went to a youth pastor's conference in Tennessee, and they had a prayer labyrinth. You'd buy it in a paint can... And you'd pull it out and it had little knickknacks and you'd walk the prayer labyrinth and you'd contemplate God. And then you'd sit and you'd look at the rock that was in the paint can and you'd contemplate God. Right? That's so dumb. Okay? (laughs) That's bad stuff. God does not want you to empty your heads. God wants you to fill your heads with Bible. That's why we do this. Hopefully you leave here on Sundays going, whoa, TMI. Oh, man, that was a lot. 
right? I'd rather have you leave here overwhelmed with information than going, I could sense the presence of God when my elbow started to twitch. I hope you're not getting weird things like that. Um, speaking with angels or God, if anyone who starts a ministry, no matter how popular it is, if they said, well, I was walking by the river and God spoke to me, and he said, start a church. Well, there's an original idea, first of all, um, which is dumb, all right, for lack of better words. But if they said, I had a vision, and an angel spoke to me and took me to a new place, took me to Starbucks, and a Starbucks, I got a latte, and in the latte was the word um, bird, and bird meant start a church. Okay, if anything like that is going on, that's also bad. Now, <laughs> anyone, uh, you ever heard of IHOP? Not the House of Pancakes, but the International House of oh. Prayer. Okay, their pastor says he's had a vision where God took him up to heaven and he was standing at the left hand of God's throne. He had a vision. Hello, that's a problem. Okay. Now, let's look at all the successful cults that got started by people having visits from angels. The Mormons, Joseph Smith, okay, Seventh-day Adventism, Advent. Did you know that was started by two folks who, uh, uh, one was a lady, and they had visits from angels, and uh, that's why they don't eat meat, and that's why they hold to the Sabbath being a Saturday. If you ever go to J.D.'s Funhouse on a Saturday, it's closed. Because they're Seventh-day Adventists. Does anyone know a particular person who was running for election who was a Seventh-day Adventist? Carson. Okay, These aren't Christians. They believe some weird stuff. Because an angel came and spoke to somebody and they started a church. All right, That's extra-biblical stuff. Christian science. All right, Christian science, that is some really weird stuff. All right, angel came and spoke to him. Unification church with Young Sung Moon or whatever it is. Angels are talking to him. And an Islam is in there. Of course, Islam didn't begin until 600 years after Jesus had um, started with the New Testament. 600 years later. Islam had visions of angels and telling them what to do. And, and, and they all wrote their own books and add their own books to the Scripture because naturally, the Scripture's not closed if God's still giving you revelation. Is this making sense? Yep. And then they all go wacky. Uh, the doctrine of dominionism, which is a Christian belief that the Christians have to take over all the governments of the world to bring Jesus back for the second coming. Okay, really wacky. And it usually comes out of the charismatic movements where they're speaking to angels and God. And also word faith, the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it. Right? Lord Jesus, new flat screen TV. You all knew that was coming. New flat screen TV. 55 inch Jesus. OLED. OLED, in the name of Jesus, I will have that TV to the glory of God. Where's my... Is it here yet? Michelle's praying against that right now, I'm sure. (laughs) Okay? That's how you know it's a you might be a cult. Okay? Or experiential versus Bible truth. Well, tell me about your experience. Well, that must be true because you experienced it. Okay? Experience must be filtered through the Bible. 
Don't leave your experience alone. And thus, so it is. All right? You want to be careful of that. If you ever get... Actually, I had a text from a friend who I wish, I hope, is walking for the Lord. He's just started reading the Scripture. And someone said that he sounds like he's pushing the Bible. And I said, dude, that's a compliment. The fact that, you know, that someone actually... And people are always going to be offended if you stand up for the truth. And it does not matter how much love you dose on it. It's the truth that offends them, and you're the messenger. I would love it if you all came in here with a report saying someone was offended because you gave them the truth. I am so not concerned how they're interpreting it. The fact that the folks tried, I'll take that any day of the week. Go give the truth. Give it with all the love and gentleness you can give it. You're still going to offend them unless the Holy Spirit's working on them. It's the bottom line is give it. Give the truth. Because to not give the truth is to not love them. And be confident that you're getting the truth. That's why it's objective and I'm standing to the right in the Scriptures front and center. Be confident in that. And we have two slides left. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Remember, breathe through the Holy Spirit. And is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and in instructions in righteousness. Lost people are offended with every single bit of this. Where's the love and tolerance? I want to sin. Accept my sin. Can't. God has the final word. We obey. And the last slide before communion. That the man of God, right there, you've just offended everybody else. Because that man of God means the Christian may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what it's all about. Let's pray and celebrate communion. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakindeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakindeacon.com. Truth is here.